Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostol, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies, and welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I have Kaya Milston with us today. Um, Kaya, I have been following you on Instagram for quite some time, and I love everything you do, and I am so, so glad that I get to talk to you. Um, so I'm I'm not going to like build any more suspense. Why don't you tell us about yourself? And then we're just going to dive into all the things that I love about you. Oh, you know, I'm somebody who has a lot of commas after my name. I do this and this and this and this and this and this. And I think that's basic. I have always been a person that's been, uh, I learned the word multi-passionate and I loved it because I don't think I have to box myself into one thing. So different people know me for different things I do. So it's always interesting to get different people in a room. But essentially, I am most commonly known for my work as an automotive educator and journalist, um, where I spend the vast majority of my time educating regular folks, regular car owners and drivers about the car ownership process. Everything from buying a car to insuring a car to maintaining a car, selling a car and insuring. I mean, everything you could possibly think of and everything in between, I've probably covered it at some point uh, somewhere in the world of social media. Uh, I speak about cars um, at universities and libraries, nonprofits. I teach publicly open classes. Um, I have eight different automotive classes that I teach that are also the basics for regular car owners. Um, and I write about cars for publications like AAA's Via Magazine, Real Simple, Parents Magazine, um, and many others over the years. So that's like my primary thing I do. And then I also uh, discovered a passion for writing about travel. Um, unexpectedly a little over a year ago. Uh, and since then, I launched a travel column on Salon called The Fatty's Guide to Traveling and Eating the World. Yes. Um, and the name came to me in the shower. <laughs> as um, they do, as they do. <laughs> it, was, it, it was sort of a tweak on a pitch. I had sent a lot of publications that didn't accept it. Basically, I was like, I'm going to Mexico. I want to write a guide to traveling as a fat person to Mexico. And I didn't really get any... Um, excited response. And I was talking to somebody saying, hey, maybe I need to tweak my pitch. And she's like, oh, your pitch is so good. And then she bought it as a column. So oh, amazing. So now I get to write about traveling the world and eating and all of these really exciting stuff. And so that's also <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> I this is this is why I was so excited to talk to you because first of all I'm like I must know more about how you became an automotive educator as someone 
myself who knows nothing about her cars, when you're talking about the kind of the, I don't think you use these words exactly, but almost like the life cycle of car ownership and the responsibility of car ownership. I'm like, oh no, I have never done anything like that or even really thought about it in that way. But when you say it, I'm realizing actually that makes a lot of sense. And and I am deeply excited to talk to you also about travel too. So thank you. I love that you are a fellow multi-passionate. I often call it like a multi-hyphenate um, as well, <laughs> all the different things. Um, but I want to start with the question that I love asking my guests off the top, which is what is your relationship to the word fat? When we were talking about this earlier before the podcast started, I I sort of said that I've always been a fat person um, in various sort of sizes. I've only gotten larger over the course of my life, um, but I've never been like a small or skinny or, or just non-fat person pretty much ever in life. <clears throat> and pretty early on, I like, I, I never really developed some of the struggles that I feel um, are very common to be heard from folks, especially on like fat social media Mm. around um, my identity. I didn't really spend very much time dieting. Uh, It was just like, well, this is who I am. And honestly, my size kind of fits my personality. Like I'm a very aggressive, straightforward person. And outside of the world of social media, there are very few people in the world that would walk up to me, given the, you know, the sort of power that I exude and say something about my fatness. Like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't really happen very much. So I never really had like a problem, let's say with the word fat, but I also never used it as an identifier for myself because I never like even considered it. And then I was, uh, I went out with this fat femme and uh, she introduced me to a world of like fat femmes. And I was like, shit, there's other people like me out there. Because mm-hmm. I kind of felt like very siloed. And she invited me to a fat club. A bunch of gorgeous people of all kinds of backgrounds and varieties And they all identified with the word fat. And I was like, that makes sense. And I think from there, I didn't use it as frequently, but over the years, it's become a lot more frequent. And over the years, I've sort of pulled back on like calling myself plus size. That doesn't necessarily speak to me the same way that calling myself fat does. I am fat. And uh, sometimes referring to yourself that way actually allows you to have a conversation about like, the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about because people have the immediate visceral reaction. You say, I'm fat or I'm a fat queer while doing this. And this is why I have this experience. Mm-hmm. They do. They do. And can I ask you about the term fat femme? What, what does that mean to you? I'm just, I, it's a term that I've heard quite a lot and I would love to, um, just make sure everyone like understands the nuance of the phrase fat femme. I think it's sort of combining to what could be two separate identities into one, into one cohesive sort of umbrella identity for, uh, for mostly queer femmes. You know, femme is 
does not mean woman and femme does not mean feminine. Femme kind of has its own category in the world of like queer identifiers. And it's something that I've, that I've really felt strongly connected to. I spent a long time figuring out how I like present myself to the world. And sometimes I still, still wonder how I present myself to the world. Um, (laughs) But being a femme person really spoke to me pretty early on. So after I finished like wearing suits in high school um, and and bow ties and, you know, doing queer the way everybody else made it seem like queer was, I was surrounded by a lot of masculine queer women. Um, And then I realized, but this is like really not who I am. I'm very feminine. I'm very femme in my energy and my mannerisms and my dress and how I carry myself in the world. And yeah, I love how I have like a specific definition, but that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Well, and you, your um, automotive education business is called mechanic shop femme. So you've even like built it into the name of what you do. Yes. And it was important to me to show the world exactly as I was uh, when I started deciding what I should call my, what was then going to be just the blog. I really, it was really important to me that I brought myself front and center of my work. And I wanted to figure out how to combine what I do and who I am into something that was um, a little bit more cohesive and also something that screamed, I'm queer to queer people. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and Mechanic Shop Fab certainly does that. And when I'm in straight spaces or car spaces, uh, people always say femme. And they just kind of look quizzically and they don't ask any questions because <laughs> they're not sure what, you know, what they're going to get to. I think also, and and perhaps I sort of skipped over this and that's, this is an important part of being femme. Femme is more than just, you know, how you dress. It's a political identity. It's a, mm. it's a, the words that I'm looking for are not finding me. Um, but essentially it's just a lot more than how you dress or who you are. Um, and it's something that's been very important to queer femmes for many, many, many years. And it allows me to stand on the shoulders of people who mm-hmm. came before me and be able to do the things that I do because of the, the paths that they paved for me and for yeah. everyone else. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, I love that you're so clear about that. And I <laughs> I want to ask an important question, which is um, you mentioned when you're in car spaces, there's always these questions. So I'm imagining car spaces are not super anti-oppression diverse spaces perhaps <laughs> i i honestly don't spend a whole lot of time in car spaces <laughs> um but this week i spent an entire day with, with a group of other uh car influencers content creators and yes um this is not this is very far from the community and mm-hmm. space that i have created which is why i think that my work is unique special and and why I've designed my community to center queer people first to serve queer people first because these spaces don't really exist yes in the world as far as I can tell at least you know and if you know of some spaces please let me know as long as it's not like a 
obscure Facebook group that nobody updates ever. Because I, um, I get a lot of those recommendations. You oh. should join this Facebook group. I want a community. I want right vibrancy and engagement and people excited and passionate and yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, and I think this is where your your work struck me as so powerful because I haven't seen anyone just even just I just talk surface like Instagram anyone who looks like you anyone who holds the identities that you hold um and really I don't know if the, this is the right word but openly and confidently doing this kind of work in the automotive sector and I just think I was I just I'm so um ah what's the word just in awe that you are holding a space in what my assumptions are is quite a mm, patriarchal, possibly filled with whiteness, heteronormativity space. And so I, to me, I, I'm like, I really think a lot about the type of courage that might involve the fact that you, like you said, you just spent a whole day with people. And I imagine you may have been the only one who looked like you. It's an assumption on my part, but uh, yes, I, yeah. I took up I, I took up the space about three people. <laughs> so <laughs> um, good, but you know what? I had a really great experience because yeah. the way that this was set up, it really allowed for a lot of listening. I, I don't always know if I get through to people, but it seemed like folks recognized where I was coming from and what I was trying to do and yeah. and why it was important. And the other side of this coin is that I am pretty siloed in the car space just because of the car content I'm creating is so vastly different from everybody else's. And even if I wasn't a queer person or a fat person or any of those things, I would still be creating something that's just very different from what I'm mm-hmm. creating. And and that's okay. And that yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah. Well, I think it's what has you stand out as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that's always a good thing for business. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And how did you get into it? How did you get into the automotive education side of things? Were you, did you have an experience? Were you always into cars? I'm so curious about that piece. Great question. Um, so I didn't know anything about cars when I started in the automotive space. Uh, I was 18. I had aged out of foster care. And, you know, if you've listened to me talk about podcasts or anything else before, you've heard this story repeated over and over and over again. But essentially, I aged out of foster care. I didn't have a job. I was pretty desperate for a job. And somebody helped connect me with the HR manager at the Sears department store that was local to me. And I went in for an interview and I got to tell you, I've always had the same level of confidence and like, uh, you know, aggressive attitude as people <laughs> like to say. Um, and that certainly was always the case, even when I was 18 years old looking for a job. So when she asked me, Kaya, what department do you want to work in? I was like, I don't know, whichever one makes the most money. Nice. And I always like to tell you that I am a Capricorn. So that sort of fits mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, she was a little bit taken aback. <laughs> and then she was like, well, that would be appliances or automotive. And I was like, well, cars sound more interesting and more challenging. <laughs> and then I just got propelled into this whole new universe, wow. just entirely by mistake. <laughs> so I got into or was the it? shop. Or was or it? Was it? it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I didn't even have a driver's license. <laughs> 
when I had this interview, I had to go get my driver's license for this job. I used to say I didn't know the difference between an oil change and a bumper. And that was totally true. I didn't know anything about cars at all. So I got the job at Sears Auto Center and that very quickly propelled me into the car world. Within a couple of months, I transferred to the Sears Auto Center in Brooklyn, which was one of the biggest stores in the country. I became one of the top 10 in sales um, in the in the whole Sears network. Um, they did it by the week. So I had some weeks where I was top 10 in sales, um, which was absolutely like mind boggling to me. Uh, and as I started to evolve in the car industry and learn and I always ask so many questions that would drive people absolutely bonkers um, because if I don't understand something, I can't explain it to my customers. Yeah. yeah. And if I don't understand something, I'm not going to sell it. And my like claim to fame is I always wanted that if people left my desk and they spent a lot of money, that they understood what they spent it on. Oh. They felt like they actually did something they needed instead of just feeling like, oh, I wonder if I should have done that, maybe you should have got a second opinion. I don't even know what they really did. I just know that they needed something and in this specific system. So as I kind of grew in the car industry and I went to work at other places, eventually started reaching the point that I, that I wanted to go bigger and higher. And I didn't really see anywhere where I can keep working with customers, which was kind of my passion and doing the education that I was doing. And somebody recommended that I start a blog. I was also needed money. Um, and there wasn't, I needed some other job and I kept doing all kinds of stuff. So I ran a stand at a farmer's market selling uh, barrecas and some other stuff. I did billing for a podiatrist office. I ran a queer car service in New York, hmm. which by the way, people still message me for rides and I oh, no. lived in New York four years. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did all of these other random things and I was just kind of looking like, how am I going to take whatever I do to, to the next level? And somebody recommended that I start a blog. Um, so, and that was something I really didn't want to do, <laughs> but I decided to do anyway, because I'm the type of person that I will do something and like sort of throw noodles against the wall, see what will stick. Yeah. Cause you weren't a writer at this point. You weren't oh, no. a journalist. I was or not a okay. writer. I was, yeah. not, I was not a anything. I was just somebody who worked in an automotive space and somehow all the queer people knew in New York for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> to prove that point, I met my wife on social media. Um, well, okay. I met her at the circus. Well, not really. <laughs> Let me backtrack. I went to the circus and my wife worked at the circus and she saw me and then she ran across my, my picture on a queer social media space a week after she saw me at the circus. And that kind of, and that was before I started my blog. So my wife has been with me through this whole process, but anyhow, started the blog and it was extremely well received. And I was like, damn, what am I going to do next? <laughs> yeah. like, well, how am I going to take this to the next step? And I posted in a Facebook group um, for like business owners. And I was like, here's what I do. Anybody have any ideas for what else I should do? And they recommended that I start teaching classes. And I was not receptive. <laughs> 
I was like, <laughs> it's kind of like the podcast. People have been telling me to start a podcast. You're going to be the next click and clack. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to be the next click and clack. I mean, by the way, y'all are trying to, you know, if anybody who's listening is trying to, it has a podcast platform and wants to pay me to create a co- podcast, we could talk talk about it but I'm not starting this from mm. scratch as someone who has just started a podcast right. let me tell you <laughs> it is so much work <laughs> so having right. someone pay you oh yes please you just get to show up and chat that would be the way to do it Kaya I think you're you're completely yes. correct there <laughs> one, one one day maybe a, a radio network could come to me and say they want me to yeah do yeah. this for them because this does not sound the editing and all that does sound particularly exciting Mm-mm. for me. No, it's yeah. not. <laughs> the chatting is good. The chatting is good. Yes. So they recommended the classes. I kind of thought about it. I had a friend who needed a car uh, because their car had had a lot of issues. Um, and they brought the car to, to the shop that I was working at and we couldn't fix it. The parts were unavailable anymore was an older vehicle these cars aren't being made anymore actually the whole brand doesn't make regular passenger cars anymore so I helped them by like bouncing back and forth their ideas about buying a car on like messenger and on the phone and then they bought a great car mm-hmm. and that became like my idea for my first class so my first class nice. was how the heck do I buy a used car yes and it all kind of grew from there it all grew from there. Wow. Oh, it's such, it's so interesting because I, so I recently needed, my lease was coming due and I was in this place of, do I lease? Do I buy? Do I finance? You knew, used all the questions and it's very, it's a very confusing space and it's very complicated. And I love how you talk about this and your purpose is to uncomplement Kate, demystify a lot of the aspects of car ownership. So I'm curious because I also want to talk about travel too. Do you have top, like, are there some top things that every car owner should know? Or like, what's what's like a little piece of advice, a little piece of Kaya magic that you could give to us? So bouncing off what you said about your lease, yeah, I would suggest that if you have a lease, and you're okay with the car or happy with the car, even just okay with the car, that right now you keep your lease um, and you buy out your lease and you keep your car because it's so hard to buy a car right now. There's so few vehicles available on the market. There's waiting lists, especially if you have a hybrid vehicle, there's waiting lists year long for certain cars. It's just so hard to find what you're looking for. If you're, even if you're just okay with what you have, um, I would hang on to it. And if you decide that you are not okay and you have to move on to the next thing, don't sell your car to the dealership. See if anybody around you would be willing to pay you what the dealership would pay you. Because that would be a lot that they would pay for the car at the dealership, especially people in your own like circle, your own family, right. so that you could pass on the vehicle because people are having such a hard time buying a car right now. Oh, that's such so a good that's point. kind of like a little bit. Oh, I love that. That's super helpful. Um, One more question about the automotive education work that you do, Kaya. Has the role, we talked a little bit about how the role of queerness impacted and actually drew clients to you and 
did the did being fat do anything positive negative in between for that and does it still have some kind of role in the work that you do in this sector that's a great question you know recently i had this realization all of a sudden my pro- platform grew pretty quickly in the last year and all of a sudden i went from being a fat influencer who teaches people about cars to a car influencer who happens to be fat. And it was like extremely strange. Like, and and the way that community responds to things and the way that people comment and the way that they, that they accept my various identities has shifted in a little bit in a way that's been peculiar and a little bit nerve wracking for me. (laughs) Where, you know, people sometimes feel the need to to give their opinion on, uh, you know, things that are not necessarily uh, things that they should be giving their opinion on uh, mm-hmm. or that I'm interested in their opinion on in a way that never happened before. Like yeah. I had done such a great job of curating a primarily fat and queer community um, that it was an interesting evolution. But when I started Mechanic Shop Femme, it was my goal to be front and center of my work and to create a space where queer people are welcome primarily, but also to be me in front of my work. I could easily not be present in my work and still create the same type of content and teach the same type of things. But my space and my community and my business would not be the same because yeah. So I think that the fact that I'm fat in my space and that I'm queer in my space is really important to curating the community that I want and curating the content that I want to create. And yeah. And recognizing that all of my identities matter and that I don't need to shrink or hide or put myself in a box mm. in order to give people especially free content mm-hmm. and free advice. So if you're not happy with who I am and if you think I'm too fat or too queer or too femme, that's kind of your problem and you could go find somebody else to work with. I love that. I love that it's all, I love that phrase, all my identities matter. And you get, and that you're unapologetically occupying them and doing the work that you want to do as opposed to hiding them in any way. And in fact, you're utilizing them, like you said, to curate the community you want. That is brilliant and very inspiring. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. I mean, representation matters like this. We need to see more people doing that. I think. It also gives me space to talk about fat related car things. For example, I talk about how to wear your seatbelt and I talk mm-hmm. about seatbelt extenders and I talk about, you know, uh, adjusting the steering I wheel. Really, I watched that video the other I, day. And yes, I was like, how do bad people not wheel. know about that? I'm always like, can I adjust this in all the ways? Yeah. That was and huge. I really hoped to, I was working really hard to try to create like a database or a platform for fat people to be able to find cars that, fit their bodies without having oh. to try a million different cars. Yes. To be please. honest, I failed. Really. Uh, I, mean, I succeeded really well in gathering all the information I needed. And then I realized I'm completely, totally, I mean, I was just in completely over my head. 
<laughs> in creative uh, and I've, and I've, I've spent the last couple of years trying to like work on all of this and it just hasn't been working. And at some point I realized, you know what? Sometimes it's okay to let things go. Even if it's something uh, that people really want from you. Yes. One day I'll find the right partners, you know, statisticians and website builders and, uh, and the right partners to help cre- bring the vision that I want mm-hmm. to life. But right now my plate is overflowing and yeah. things are falling off every single day uh, <laughs> that I don't want to fall off. I could barely carry what I already have to carry. Yeah. And yeah. So that's kind of what I, yeah. What a brilliant idea. Yeah, I love that. And yes, of course, I'm so glad you're choosing, you know, where you devote your energy to and how wonderful an idea that is. Because so like you said, right now, there's a car shortage. And and I said, I've been like looking at other cars. I can't even test drive any car because no dealer has any cars available. So if I was interested in the Toyota RAV4, does it fit my body? Does it fit my hips? Does it fit my belly? I don't know. And the thought of spending so much money on a car that I can't even tell if I'm going to be comfortable in it is like, is shocking to me. So yeah, it's, it's a real thing when buying a car, how does it fit differently sized bodies? And that's well, not something would, that, yeah, I would definitely hang on to your, to your lease, buy it yeah, out. Yeah. It's going to cost you way less than buying another vehicle, but also you can still go and buy another vehicle in a year when yeah. things are better. That's true. And just sell mine. Yeah, no, it's so true. That's so true. It's great advice. Thank you, Kaya. Um, I want to shift gears into travel and fat travel. So I actually used to travel for um, work. I was in a sales role and I traveled all over North America. And traveling as a fat person is always a thing. And I developed, I found like, I just learned just by, you know, always being on an airplane, little hacks and how to advocate for myself and which airplanes have the seat arms that you find the little button hidden at the very back underneath that you can pop up. And there's so much around fat travel that straight sized people never have to think about. Um, And especially as size for me has fluctuated, so do does the so so too does the travel experience as a fat person. So super curious how how did this come about? How did you um get into fat travel? And definitely would love to hear a horror story if you have one, an amazing oh gosh, story so and some tips. <laughs> yeah. Tell us the goods. Give us the goods. So how did I get into fat travel? Well, I'm fat and I like to travel. So that was kind of a And given. then you pitched the story uh, to Salon, uh, right? Uh, so it actually started before then. Salon oh, came. Okay. I already wrote things about travel before I got to, before I started writing for Salon. Um, I actually started about writing about travel because I got mad at somebody. Yes. <laughs> Rage is the impetus for so many good things. That's why I created this podcast, Rage. <laughs> so, uh, and that's why, and then you talk about fat joy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly right. <laughs> Basically, a publicist came to me, and uh, they were anyhow. I wanted to stay at a hotel that they had, and they basically the response was like well, you're, you know, you haven't written anything about travel. And I was like, and like, I am very capable of it. 
And anyhow, the way that they, so within like a few days of their email, um, I sold several travel stories. (laughs) I ended up having five stories about the trip. And keep in mind, I've always loved to travel. Um, and I've considered writing about travel, but I started working full time for myself at the beginning of COVID, like because I was laid off in April. So I didn't have the opportunity to travel on my two weeks of paid mm-hmm. time off that I had before that. I traveled whenever I could. You know, we tried to travel once or twice a year, um, but it wasn't something that I got the opportunity to do very regularly. But it's something that I had wanted to get into. I just never had the right motivator. You know, uh, there's always too much on your plate and you always have to figure out how to fit more things in. So this was like my trigger moment, my motivating moment. I would have ended up where I am today anyway. It just this accelerated it, you know, slightly. Yeah. So that was my honeymoon trip and I pitched voters and, uh, you know, they really wanted me to write for them, but they didn't quite like what I had sent them. And as I was working on updated pitches because they wanted to hear more and what else I could write about, I, uh, <laughs> I was talking about this out loud and I was like, you know, one thing that's been happening a lot is people are telling me how small the hotel rooms are in Europe and how the bathrooms are very tiny and how, you yes. know, there's no air conditioning and there's no king size beds and, you know, all of these things. And I said, why don't I pitch like review, like plus size reviews of the hotels? Yeah. And I ended up pitching uh, these like X amount of European hotels have my fat girl seal of approval. <laughs> See, I would go there. <laughs> And it went so well. I loved writing it. It was great. The story got tons of traction. And I was like, I don't know why I didn't think about this before. Like, it's absolutely (laughs) a fit. I'm fat and I travel and I have all these experiences traveling while fat. I write about other things in essay format. So why don't I combine my like essay type of writing and travel type of writing and create this, you know, sort of this niche and there's not a lot of people writing about fat travel. There's, there's not. some great folks like Annette from mm-hmm. Fat Girl Travels um, mm-hmm. and Fat Girls Traveling. Yeah, I'm part of that Facebook group and yeah. I love it. I learned so much. And they do really amazing work, but on yeah. a mainstream level in yeah. media, in journalism, mm-hmm. there's very, very little, which is yeah. mind boggling. It's just like clothing. Yeah. There's more fat people in the US and there's not enough fat clothing mm-hmm. and there's more fat people in the U S so there's no fat travel content on a journalism level or very little of it. There's yeah. always some, but yeah. So eventually I, you know, I, I was working on some other pitches and I landed this column in salon and that kind of continued to propel. And then I pitched USA today um, about traveling while fat because I had a nightmare experience um on Lufthansa oh tell us give us the details I (laughs) it went viral I I don't remember it was like over 10 million views across platforms and it it was disgusting to be honest the experience was disgusting and then going viral about the disgusting experience just created you know the perfect the perfect storm essentially it was our honeymoon. We were flying from Switzerland. 
from Switzerland to Iceland. And on one of the legs of the flight, I um, saw there was an upgrade to business class. And it, the upgrade was very reasonable. And it was our honeymoon. And we're fat. And it would be more comfortable. Uh, so I upgraded us. And when you upgrade to business class, it shows you a map of the airplane, right? Mm-hmm. And it showed two seats next to each other, just like a traditional business class. But when we got on the plane, I discovered that European business class is not a traditional business class. And European business class is essentially the same seats as economy, except they leave the middle seat open. But the map, when you book a business class seat, the map where you select your seat shows it just like those two recliners you get when you are in a traditional business class. So that was annoying, but that wasn't as annoying as what happened next, which is when I learned about what bulkhead seats were, um, because I got onto the plane and we were in the first row of business class and I couldn't fit into my seat at Mm. all. Like it wasn't just like a squish. It was those solid metal. Oh, those are the worst. All the way down. Horrible. And that, so I like sort of heard and I was trying to get the attention of the flight attendant. Didn't really pay attention to me. And I finally, I asked um, the person behind us to switch rows and they begrudgingly did. And it like worked out for the rest of the trip. But I took a little video. And before we took off, I posted it on TikTok mm-hmm. and on Instagram. There was no internet while we were in flight. Mm-hmm. And by the time we landed... This video had already gone viral and I was flooded, absolutely flooded with the most disgusting comments Mm. you can possibly imagine. And by the way, Lufthansa never answered me ever. Not after the videos went viral with over 10 million views. Not after, um, not after I wrote about it in USA Today um, they didn't respond. They they um, responded to USA's request for inquiry um, with lies. In fact, I almost pulled the story because I thought my editor wasn't was going to publish their side, um, and it was oh. wrong. I like went and I pulled and I and I got the seat diagrams from like Seat Guru to prove because they said business class seats are bigger than regular seats, um, and I was like, no, 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 no. they weren't. And they use the same plane to fly this route every single time. And that was, so, I mean, that was, that, that experience was, wasn't as much of a nightmare on the plane as it was after I got Mm -hmm. off the plane Mm -hmm. and I discovered all these things. Um, But I mean, I've had other experiences. I don't sort of shy away from doing things that don't say that they're not accessible to me. So if you don't write that you have a weight limit or that you have a space limit, then there's a good chance I'm probably going to do it. And then if you do at that point, that's kind of your problem. So I went on this uh, Jeep tour in Las Vegas uh, of Red Rock Canyon, the pink Jeeps. And uh, that was scary. Um, So first of all, the Jeep is completely open. Uh, I was seated at the end with just a little metal rail, like end of my, just like this end of my seat um, between me and the road. And the seatbelt didn't fit. Oh, and I was like completely squished out of my mind, like, you know, the metal against my leg. So left oh. me with a bruise there, which is not the worst part. 
Because then um, I discovered that this Jeep, before it gets to Red Rock Canyon, is going to go 55 miles an hour down the highway, which I only discovered mid, mid, mid driving towards Red Rock Canyon. And I don't have a seatbelt and it's open air. And literally the only thing holding in is this metal rod. And the guy is making jokes about how he's going to shake us like a milkshake while we, when we get to Red Rock Canyon. And, um, yeah, and I'm like literally have my eyes closed and I'm like oh, gripping oh everything my with my life and like absolutely panicking as we're flying down the highway in this open air vehicle that I could literally explode out of. Oh in my moment. God. I can't believe the tour operators went when you I, couldn't I be buckled just, in. Oh. Just, so we got to Red Rock Canyon. I got out. Mm-hmm. I told my wife to look around. Let's enjoy Red Rock Canyon, and I'm not getting back that truck. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this, and not. But on the flip side, there's been lots of negative experiences, but there have been some exciting, positive things that have happened. Yeah. Uh, I've been wanting to take a helicopter tour for oh, ages. Yes. And you know, helicopter tours always have weight limits and they're usually really low, like 200 pounds or 250 pounds. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like 350 pounds. So that's not even close to the same universe. Right. Uh, so there was one in Chicago that I wanted to go to. It had three seats and each weight limit was 250. So if it would be me and my wife and us combined would be less than the three Right? Totally. But they still wouldn't let us go. What? Even though there was no third person. And I was very annoyed. So, but I was just in Canada. And I, I, uh, Viatar sent me an email and said that they had this helicopter company in Canada in Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. And it had no weight limit. Mm-hmm. And we got to take the helicopter ride. We did have to put in our exact weight into the for like balance purpose and, and that's all cool with me mm-hmm. um so we we got to go on the helicopter ride and I was really nervous because I was wondering since they had you put the exact weight and I didn't have a scale I had to like go my wife bought a scale from the internet and then it showed my weight like 50 pounds less and I was like there's no way that I- <laughs> oh no yeah so I haven't weighed myself hotel, in years right I, so we yeah. went to hotel and we got uh, did another scale anyhow I was worried that <laughs> were wrong. and I was worried that we got to the after place that, you know that it would end up being extremely embarrassing because they would ask us to be weighed or something under the pretext of safety and I just didn't know how it went and none of that happened oh, we got there so we good. waited we got on the helicopter it was so lovely um, yeah. I'm scared of heights, but this is actually fine. Oh. Um, so I was very surprised. <laughs> that was another thing why I was nervous. Yeah. And I had a really, really great experience. The other thing I've always wanted to do um, as an adult was to go on a Segway. And Segways usually have 225 pound weight limits uh, everywhere in the world. And I don't know if that's because the equipment carries that or because their liability insurances carry that or who knows. Um, but I've been looking, I've even like posted on Twitter, like, Hey, I'm looking like anywhere in the world, tell me where you <laughs> have this and I will come and do it. And it turns out I have it right in my own backyard. Oh, 
I had, I was talking to the Wisconsin tourism board representative and she was recommending some stuff to do. And, uh, you know, I, I got a Segway tour and I went to read their like F, F, um, FAQ? frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they said, they have no weight limit. You just need to be able to balance and keep yourself upright on the Segway. And I went Segway when I was a kid. So I know what, like, it sort of feels like, yeah. but I'm very excited to go on a Segway. Oh. I haven't quite done it yet, but. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you got to have those positive experiences. And I'm also so aware that at the same time, there's a lot of unknown and emotional uncertainty, possibly distress leading up to. So I have a version of this where, and because here's the problem, this information is not posted in most places. Like you don't know until you get there. So you spend the money, you take the time, you show up and you're like, I hope I can do this. It's concert seating. Um, Like it's, it's really, I had an experience with that recently. I wanted to go see Elizabeth Gilbert, but it's at this auditorium that I'm not familiar with. There's no seating measurements anywhere and it's first come first serve. So I can't even like pick an aisle seat. So I know I'll be a little bit more comfortable. Wrote to organizers, even tagged Liz Gilbert, (laughs) heard nothing. So I can't go. I'm not going to drive an hour and a half, pay all this money. And then like, kind of like you with the airplane seat, not be able to get my hips in. Okay, so one thing I've found with Mm. um, some of these places is if they have ADA seating, the ADA seating often has just um, uh, folding, like metal folding chairs, not the plastic ones that will like fall underneath you. Right, Um, right. They have no arms. So I'm really scared of heights. Um, So I've been in, (laughs) so I have a different problem with concerts. If you go in like Mm. when I was like really broke and you have to go in like the 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 way to the top level (laughs) and it feels like you're going to fall down the entire thing. Yes. So um, I've often sat in these types of spaces um, and they don't usually have arms. And the reason that they have like chairs that are movable and don't have arms is so that you can put like wheelchairs in and um, other accessibility devices. So if they have accessible seating, you you deserve to have access to that. Right. Okay. So that's an amazing hot tip that I had not thought about. Thank you. So I may go back when you and go on relook. Ticketmaster. You can yeah. find the accessible seating. Oh. Here's the problem. This was like an event rate <laughs> registration, okay. which is problematic to begin with anyway, but that's a really great tip. I love that. So look for accessible seating. Do you have, uh, what other tips do you find really helpful for fat travel? So on an airplane, um, and this is the silliest thing, but it makes the world of difference. Uh, I tuck my, I have a, a crossbody purse and instead of putting the purse all the way under the seat where then I can't get the purse out from underneath yes. the seat, I tuck the strap into the pocket at the back of the seat. And then I put my purse under. So when I need it, I just pull it by the pull strap. The strap. From the seat. <gasps> so smart. So um, smart. I also discovered that on international flights, specifically uh, business class um, bathrooms are massive, oh. like truly massive. Like I was like dumbfounded. Um, and that even though they say you should use the bathroom in your own cabin, you could go up to a flight attendant and ask them to use the bathroom oh. in other places. Um, so that's always that's a really good one. Because last time I was on, I, I never pee on a plane if I can avoid yeah. it at all costs, because I can't, 
bend like there's not enough room for me to like bend to wipe like it's just so not let's work. talk about wiping for a second oh talk about um, wiping. <laughs> <laughs> what you, depending on your mobility level what you could do is stand up and put one of your legs on the toilet so, oh yeah um it's still not comfortable and it's still very squished but it gives you just enough room that if you have to pee you could go and and it's not and it's you know a little bit more um a little bit more accessible if you have that mobility level um lots of people like to look at reviews and photos especially when going to like restaurants to see what type of chairs and things they have i do find that generally even if most chairs at a restaurant are armchairs that they will have something else somewhere um either they'll have some bench seating because you have the you know the way that restaurants are configured um if you want when you make a reservation you can leave a note that you need a chair without arms okay or you can't sit in a booth or something like that yeah unless the booth table is movable that's for me that's always the thing i love right. a booth but i need the table to not be cemented into the floor <laughs> But then it also depends if you have two fat people. So if my wife true, and I are true, true. At a booth together, uh, I'm larger than her, but she's still yeah. large. So yeah. I can't just like push the table all the way in against right. her because then it, you know, doesn't fit. But with booths, speaking of booths, if you do sit in a booth and you are two bigger people, if one person gets out, the smaller person, and then you push the table and then you get out, that yeah. tends to give you just a little bit more flexibility. Uh, but the thing where I find with like leaving a note in the in the reservation is if they don't have that uh, in you're going to a decent to quality to, to like high end restaurant, they will call you. Nice. And <laughs> they and they'll tell you because they don't want you to come and not yeah. have a place to sit. Yeah. So do you ever, yeah. feel, I'm curious about this is what I'm hearing so much here is about really articulating your needs and advocating for them both in advance and in person. Did you ever struggle? Cause again, I, I just, my own experience a little more in the past now I'm pretty good at advocating, but definitely something I hear from a lot of people is the embarrassment and the shame of having to do that, especially if you're with a group or with another person who is not fat and has never had to think about accessibility in the same way as a fat body person has. So did you ever have to deal with that? Or have you had moments where it still kind of catches you that you have to do all this extra just to have an experience that most people get to have without even thinking about it? Um, so. I don't really surround myself with a lot of people who who wouldn't have some kind of level of understanding because I'm pretty loudly, proudly fat. Um, yeah. So it would be it would it would be very hard for me to find myself in a situation where whoever I'm with um, doesn't have at least a little bit of recognition I have been in some of those situations um for example even yesterday okay I was on the plane um and the the plug in order to plug in my phone um was a little bit lower and I had to like contort myself to figure out how to plug the phone in and I was by myself and usually my wife does the contortion um (laughs) 
<laughs> She's very good at that. Because um, you made her at a circus. Oh, right. <laughs> She's just working security, though, not at <laughs> the circus. Um, but she, uh, so the person sitting next to me noticed that I was trying to, and she just did it. Oh, beautiful. And that was the, and 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 that's happened to me a couple of times, um, which I've, uh, I've definitely appreciated. I also think that I have the benefit and the privilege of having been fat, but not as fat as I am now when I came to terms with mm. some things and with asking for the type of accessibility. And I've also... I've been surrounded by all these amazing fat people who advocate for themselves and it just becomes sort of second nature. Yeah. I love to that. To be honest, it's a damn what anybody else thinks. Right. I mean, like, yeah, who cares? And most people in the world are just regular people and they will never, ever see this person again. This person has no idea who they are. Like the people at the restaurants or at the tours, like, and it's even a little bit different for me because I come across people who know me like all over the world. <laughs> so it's entirely possible that they will know who I am. And as a journalist, they know who I am when I'm asking for things. Yeah. But really, you're never going to see these people again. You're never going to see the the flight attendant that you asked for the seatbelt extender or the person who's sitting next to you that you asked to put the arm of your seat up. Take up space. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. The worst that's going to happen is somebody's going to be annoyed and they're going to go find somewhere else to sit for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of their problem. Um, But I do find that when you ask, generally speaking, most people will accommodate you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, so good. That permission to take up space and to live the life that you want to live and not let spaces, places, or people stop that. That's what's so inspiring to me about you, Kaya. Yeah. That you just do it. I mean, you also have to keep in mind like culture and things in different places that you go to. And sometimes you have to get a little bit uncomfortable, not necessarily because you're fat, but because you're in a country that's pretty poor and the chairs are rickety and it, and it doesn't really have to do with your weight. It has to do with the fact that they, this restaurant can't necessarily afford to have, you know, extremely, and, and you have to decide, do you want to go to that place and try to enjoy the experience to the best of your ability, or do you decide it's not the space for you? Because sometimes accommodating is because people have the ability and they're not accommodating you. And sometimes people don't have the ability. And and then you want as much information as possible so you can decide if this is a place that you are willing to give a shot. Um, I was in a theater in Niagara Falls, um, the Shaw Festival Theater, yes. uh, which is lovely, by the way. And the yes. seats were larger than usual, which was oh. also lovely. Um, uh, so two things happened to me there. Uh, one, when you get into the theater, the doors are really narrow, uh, which I thought was extremely strange. But I had to turn my body and walk in sort of sideways. Mm-hmm. But once I got to the chair, there was room. But... I was seated next to somebody um, who apparently wasn't, she didn't feel very comfortable sitting next to me. Mm. At least that's how it looked. So after like 10 minutes, she got up and moved to a different seat. And then afterwards, I think she was embarrassed by the fact that she did that. So she like looked at me and she goes, I just thought you could use a little bit more room. 
Uh-huh. And who knows? Maybe her intentions were good at the moment. That was pretty embarrassing for me, even though nobody saw it. Uh, yeah. Because I was like, well, there's room. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, there, it wasn't like I was smushed up against her or anything. It was fine. And maybe it was for my benefit yeah. that she did it. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I'll reserve know. judgment on that one. <laughs> but you know what? I'll never see her again. I have no idea right? who she is. And whether she moved for me or for her, I ended up with more space. And that's I enjoyed the show. And that's all that mattered. I love that. Yes. I think I know the some of the answer to this next question. Because <laughs> you've already been talking about it. But it's this idea of how do we stay connected to joy? How do we turn towards joy when, you know, a lot of our world doesn't like fat people doesn't like anything mm, not aligned with the top hierarchy rung of the ladder of bodies. So how do you stay connected to your joy, Kaya? I think surrounding yourself with people in similar bodies to yours um, is really important. And it allows, it gives that balance to like the bitter, terrible world out there that Mm. and sort of balances out your perspective. Um, So that's one way for sure that you can help increase your joy, but also sort of turning inward and deciding that you're not going to care what anybody thinks. Mm -hmm. I spend my life in a world that doesn't accept fatness or queerness in any sense of the world word I was in Europe for a trip and I'm gonna look this up so I can tell you exactly I counted how many fat people I saw <laughs> the um, whole time <laughs> yes I was in Europe for 10 days amazing <laughs> uh I was in Europe okay I was in Europe for 10 days in in and by in Europe I was in like the Schengen zone I went to Portugal Croatia and Austria. Um, And I counted how many visibly fat people I saw. In fact, my sister is what, you know, people call mid size. She's like a 14, 16. um, And uh, when I told her what I was doing, she would, did you see that person? Did you see that person? (laughs) So good. I counted 19 visibly plus sized people and only one that was bigger than I was. That I would have thought it'd be way higher. Wow. That's low. That was really low. Now I did spend a couple days on a boat, but we got off the boat all day in little islands in Croatia. Mm. So that doesn't count, but and, you know, it's possible that I just wasn't in the right places or didn't look in the right direction. But visibly within my eyesight, I counted yeah. 19 visibly plus size people. But you know what? I decided I wasn't going to give a damn. Mm-hmm. I was going to be me. I wore string bikini in the salty <laughs> lake in Croatia. <laughs> and and that's just how it was. And yeah. that's how it's going to be because I deserve to live a big, exciting, fun 
adventurous life if that's what I want for myself. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I do in my column, uh, my column is just like any other travel column. Um, it talks a lot about travel and really the only difference is that I talk about the fit. Yes. I call it the squish factor. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's um, exactly right. <laughs> and anything that stands out to me as something that didn't work for my fat body in one way or another um, I will put in the squish factor. So for example, I stayed at the 1908 hotel in Lisbon and my squish factor was while large enough, the shower doesn't have anywhere you can lift your leg for a shower, you know, to clean yourself, oh, yes. a little ledge that you could lift your legs slightly. Um, so that was, you know, one thing or somewhere yeah. else I went and in Europe, there's a lot of them because of the seating. So we went to boo-boos in L- Lisbon, which is absolutely worth it. And to be honest, I would go there again, but this was my, and I would absolutely, I mean, the food was amazing, uh-huh. but my squish factor was while the food and the environment were top notch, the seating left me miserable. It consisted mostly of armchairs. So I chose the bench, <laughs> which somehow was even worse than being squished. Into oh an no. <laughs> and you kind of have to decide. Yeah. The food is amazing. It's great. The atmosphere is lovely. You're also in Europe and all the chairs are small. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you go. Mm-hmm. So do you want to sit on the bench so you're not squished into the armchair? Or can you fit into the armchair instead of the armchair so you're a little bit more comfortable? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. But at least you know. Right. I think that it's so, I love that you write that and that you have a squish factor because it, it matters. And it's also, it's helpful to also for people to be prepared when they go into a space to know, all right, I'm going to want to advocate for this. I want to ask for this so that there isn't um, opportunity for shame spirals or embarrassment or feeling like, oh God, this is why I should never travel. Cause a lot of those feelings come up for so many people. I wonder, and you know what? I end up in those spaces too. Yeah. Like, especially in Europe where my sister was much smaller than me and the, the, chairs everywhere were just absolutely awful you know you reach that it's like yeah I don't know like do (laughs) I really want to do this and the answer is always when I look back on these experiences not in the actual moment but when I look back on the experiences I remember for the vast majority of things that I do I remember all the beautiful and happy and exciting parts of them and not about the chair that was really uncomfortable so I have to like take notes and take videos of the things that were uncomfortable so that I don't forget them for the column <laughs> when I'm writing the story. Something that I personally don't know if I would do again was like when I was in Lisbon, I did a food tour and my squish factor was this tour has a lot of walking, a lot more than most food tours I've taken with steep hills that have significant amounts of steps mm. and steep hills on the way down. And the and it was a lot of walking. If I had have been prepared, what I would have done is I would have taken an Uber from one stop to the next stop. Smart. When it was that big hill situation, which I've done before. Um, but when I asked the uh, the tour guide, I said, I saw that you have some areas that are very steep or there's a lot of, they're like, oh, it's not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And then halfway through, you can't really stop and <laughs> change directions (laughs) um but yeah yeah oh 
Well, I hear so much joy in all the travel that you do. I love this reminder. It's you're actually helping me in this moment, that reminder of what my memories will actually be is not the, the squish factor moments. It's actually right. about living, living our lives because as you said, we, we deserve to, we get to, we're human. We get, we get to occupy this world, occupy space and have all the fullest life experiences. And you're going to find that in some places you're going to discover these amazing moments of inclusion that you don't pay attention to. Mm. Um, I <laughs> went to the Waldorf Astoria spa in New Orleans. Oh, and I've been to a lot of spas. Mm-hmm. And um, I go usually go as a journalist, so I don't know what you know. And they are expecting me, and they're expecting me to be fat. And they still don't ever have a robe that fits. Nope. That never, fits me. never. <laughs> <laughs> but in this spa, first of all, the attendant was plus size, oh, visibly plus size, which was extremely lovely. Yeah. But and I don't know if this was her doing or not. But the the way the room was arranged, they brought you to a locker that had a robe that should fit you. Um, Essentially, they had different segments of different sizes of uh, robes in different parts of the locker. So they didn't even have to ask you about what size you were right. or about, <clears throat> or about you know, uh, or you didn't have to ask because the robe inside the locker was too small. They just brought you right to an area where there was something that should fit you. And that was, that was just, that was really lovely. That's how you start a spa experience. That's, that's so good. I don't know if, did you go to any spas in Europe? I was on, I was in Italy for a couple of weeks and we went to a couple spas and these little, did you ever have to do a thing where it was this like little paper underwear that was basically a thong that they wanted you to put on? <laughs> so that is becoming, seems to be becoming a trend, the oh, little so- plastic underwear. I just don't put them on. I just yeah. wear my underwear. See, I would, it's so funny. I, I ended up doing that, but the first couple of times I was like, and they would, it would just break. Like there was no way this was fitting on my body. And I'm standing there naked going, okay, what do we do now? How does this work? Anyway, there's just all these little things. I thought that, that was interesting in Europe about those plastic underwear, especially because supposedly Europe is supposed to be so welcoming to mm-hmm. fatness. Um, no, 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 not to fat. Let me take that back. Uh, Europe is supposed to be so welcoming to um, nudeness, like being nude in different spaces. Yes. That I always found it interesting that they give the little Mm -hmm. underwear situation Mm -hmm. uh, directly. I can't tell you that my most interesting spy experience was recently in Toronto. Oh, uh, that's my neck of the woods, by the way. Oh. I love that you were in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm yeah, pretty so close it to Toronto. Was in, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely really interesting and I kind of liked it. Um, I, I really liked it actually. I was, uh, I was pretty impressed with the situation, but so it wasn't a, a massage that we got. It was a, um, it was the Hammond spa. Oh yeah, the hammam. Yeah, hammam. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you get up on a stone table. Mm-hmm. What were we wearing? I think we were. 
we had underwear on that was and you lay down on a stone pole. They essentially scrub you from head. To, they wash you. Then they scrub you. Then they lotion you from head to toe by throwing like buckets of water on top of you. <laughs> yes. And it was, I was like extremely intimidated when we got to this room. I I walked up to the room and I was like, what the ever-loving fuck is this? Uh, there's a massive stone table that you're supposed to be at. And we spent like 75% of the treatment giggling like yes. crazy because it was so funny as they they put these buckets of water that splashed everywhere all over the place. But I gotta tell you, being a fat person in a spot is really liberating. It's, yes. It, you feel your body, you get your body to be treated and beautified. And yeah, I wasn't yeah. a spa person, but my wife loves massages. Uh, so yeah. everywhere we would go, I would do spa because my wife loves massages, but I've sort of come to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. The tip I have for spas is that um, some fat people, myself included, often feel uncomfortable laying on their stomach um with the spa so if you are in a position where you're uncomfortable laying on your stomach you can get a massage on your back yes you can yes. on your back and they can massage your arms and your shoulders and your legs and your thighs and your head and you know even your sides while you lay on your back yeah it's um, so true or you can even sit in a chair out, oh you can sit in a chair yeah i haven't tried that yeah but for me, the, the the biggest problem is that I have big boobs and I yep. kind of feel like I suffocate. Yep. While I <laughs> while I try to <laughs> while I try to lay there. I usually will still get on my stomach. Um, but the one the time that I was in um the place with the with the robes, oh in New Orleans, mm -hmm. uh, I I ate, I just ate before the massage. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't matter what size you are. You Good know, tip. You know, schedule it for like midday when it's been a couple of hours since you've eaten, or you will be very uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I laid on my stomach and the guy was a little, he was, he sort of was a little quizzical, but it was fine. Yeah. yeah. He said yes. And that was the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> with, with sometimes your accommodations for your size are not necessarily viewed as accommodations for your size. They're just viewed as a quirky thing you want while you're getting a massage. Mm -hmm. It's true. Well, and I had a conversation with another guest where we were talking about massage and it, it, my comment was very similar to yours. It's like my breasts need their own little face hole to go in. <laughs> because just put a little hole in just a little divot yeah and what she mentioned she said you know think about people who are pregnant get massages all the time like people are trained and how to are supposed to be trained and how to work with different bodies so really asking and moving things around so that your body is comfortable is so important so you're right yeah if you're not comfortable with your stomach just go on your back ask to sit in a chair yeah you could probably lay on your side also they can do sides about. too yep Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is such good information, Kaya. Thank you. I feel like we could talk for three more hours about, yes. and I love hearing your stories. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. This was really lovely, even if we did so many different things. But that's exactly what it should be.
Absolutely. We're all exciting people. If I give anybody like a takeaway, it's just honestly, people care a lot less than you think they do. Yeah. And social media tends to exacerbate the way that we think people are going to treat us because people on social media have absolutely no filter on the planet. And if you go to a place anywhere where it's professionals, it doesn't matter what they think in the back of their head. They're not going to tell you that you should like people are my video. I should go. They're not going to tell you these things. And it really doesn't matter what they think. It matters that you have a positive experience and that's it. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Kaya. Thank you for having me. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy and inviting in joy. So each week you get a new poem. Today's poem is called Love After Love, and it's by Derek Walcott. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread. Give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life, and on Patreon at patreon.com fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon.